Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Text that we've been walking through here. We're coming to the um, to the end of the Sermon on the Plain, uh, but I'm going to lift up for us uh, a verse from ver- or a couple verses, more than a couple verses, uh, starting verse 36. And so, if we would stand together for Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 45, you're going to notice that I'm going to kind of read across. I'm picking up actually one of the verses that Aaron treated last week, and I'm going to read across those um, headings there. Those headings there, while super helpful, um, are not in the original manuscripts. And so I think reading across, it actually gives us a better sense of the way I think the flow of thought is working in the original language there. Um, So I'm going to read across a couple of those headings uh, there that are helpful, but I think it gives us a better sense of the way I believe Jesus wants to think through this together. So I'm going to start at verse 36 and read through uh, to verse 45. Here's the word of the Lord, and if you don't have it in hand, it'll be on the screens. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Everybody knows that verse, right? Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that is in your word. God, help us this morning as we wrestle with questions of judgment, of discernment, of self-understanding and self-awareness, and ultimately understanding of the gospel and your character. So God, I pray that you would speak to us, God. I pray that you would move your hands from the text and allow us to behold wonderful things in your word. So we ask that you would preach Holy Ghost and preach in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I'm going to take as the heading for our time primarily, verse 37, that very popular verse, judge not and you will not be judged. And I want to live for our thoughts this morning, laying down judgment and embracing mercy, laying down judgment and embracing mercy. Um, if you follow me on, uh, on social media, you do so at your own risk. Uh, and 
Uh, you probably seen that I spent this week in Cancun. It was fun. Uh, me, amen, hallelujah. That's what I was doing. I was on beach like, yes, God, hallelujah. It was wonderful. Uh, me and my wife, we were in Cancun, relaxing, having a good time, doing all. I like touristy stuff, okay? Like, um, like touristy stuff, but also like, you know, organic community stuff. So we was getting this tour of some Mayan ruins, and so um, I had a, a tour guide, cool local dude named Jorge. Uh, and so me and Jorge, he was cool, man. Like me, him, and the driver, we was riding around. We was together all day, like eight, ten hours. We in this little van driving 100 miles an hour all over Cancun. It was fun. Um, and so me, him, we we're hanging out. Me, him, my wife, we we're all, we we're talking. Uh, and so we, we began to build some rapport and get cool. Uh, and as we got later on in the day, he was like, hey, man, got to be honest with you. I, um, I saw your name on my list this morning when I was getting up, going through my schedule. And I said, uh, Carlos, Carlos Bertrand Smith. He's like, and I'm going to be honest, when I saw a big black dude came out, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Jorge, he was like, man, I had in my mind, I had built up in my mind who you were going to be. I'm like, okay, his first name is Carlos, okay. So he's probably a Chicano. His last name's Smith. He's probably a Chicano from the States. You know, his mom's probably Mexican. His dad's probably white. And, uh, you know, he's coming back home to visit his people. <laughs> I mean, we was real comfortable at this point, you know. We had, we had got off the, the, the agenda they laid out in the tour guide. We was riding through the hood in Cancun. I told him to take me where he, we chilling at this point, you know. And uh, he was like, man, I, <laughs> I thought you was going to be a Chicano, man. He was like, so you're telling me you're not Mexican at all? I'm like, nope. I was like, I'm, I'm going to head up even more. My sister's name is Selena. My brother's name is Santiago. We just black people from Detroit, man. I don't... <laughs> He was like, wow, like he was like, he was like, man, I had to like, when I saw you come out, I was like looking for somebody else. And when it was you, I'm like, okay. He was like, but man, I had this whole picture built up in my mind about who you were going to be and the kind of person I was going to encounter. And I realized that I had a whole narrative in my head and you totally broke the mold. And he said, not only did you break the mold, you are far more interesting than I expected. <laughs> He found out that I was a pastor and all these different things, and we ended up hanging out, and I kind of gained a friend over that, over that day. Uh, but here's my point. Uh, as me and Jorge began to talk, and in, and in a sense, I totally, his, his, his presuppositions make all the sense in the world. Um, and then in that case, it was totally harmless, really, at the end of the day. It was, it was no malice, no harm meant there. But what he did and what he said was that my viewpoint, the lens that I wear, my assumptions blinded me to who you are. And because of that, I'm now I'm grateful that I encountered you and I was able to see you for who you are. But what would have happened if Jorge had just decided that I couldn't possibly be me and he just locked in and held on to his presuppositions? Now, it would have been made for a very confusing tour that day for him. Um, but that's actually what we do when we judge people. You see, when we judge people, here's the truth. Jorge's perception of who I was and who he thought, he was, who he thought I was and my identity had nothing to do with me at all. It had everything to do with him. And when we judge people, and Jesus' prohibition about judgment here is helping us to see that a couple things happen when we endeavor and decide that we're going to judge people that we don't know. He says that we basically are going to blind ourselves to who they truly are, the image of God in them, and that it has much more to do with our misunderstanding of ourselves, 
other people and who God is. And so I want to lift up this very familiar passage here for a moment. Uh, everybody knows this passage. It don't matter. People who have never set foot in the church, you start talking about some morals, some standards, anything, they're going to say, God said, don't judge. They ain't picked up a Bible ever. But somehow they know this verse is here. Um, and, so, and so I want to kind of spend some time with it and give some definition to this idea of what Jesus is prohibiting when he talks about judgment and, and hopefully open up what judgment is, what it is not, and then show from this text how God gives us positive uh, movements and positive directives on how we are to enter into this idea of judgment and understanding. But the first thing that I want to lift for us is that I believe that Jesus calls us to lay down hypocritical judgment. And if you're looking for points, that's your first one. The kind of judgment that Jesus calls us to lay down is hypocritical Judgment. What is hypocritical judgment? You got to understand the context of where we are. We are in the Sermon on the Plain, and in many ways, Jesus is responding to the hypocrisy of Pharisaic religion. The Pharisees, they prayed prayers. There's this whole prayer in Luke 18. It gives you a picture into the mind of the Pharisee because there's this Pharisee who goes out to pray. And listen to this prayer. The Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this text collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look at me. I'm so good. I'm so glad I'm not like those other people. That is the essence of hypocritical judgment. It's when you assume that you are right with God and you got it all together and God is pleased with you and all them other folk over there do not. And what Jesus says, that if that is the line of understanding that you take, that you are somehow right with God because of your religiosity, you both misunderstand God, you misunderstand yourself, and you misunderstand the nature of grace and his mercy. You see, this, this type of judgment, it only makes us feel good about ourselves. God, I'm so glad I'm not like those folks over there. I'm so glad I'm not like my cousin who's addicted. I'm so glad I'm not like that person over there who just can't seem to get themselves together and to keep it in their pants. God, I'm so glad I'm not like that woman who got four baby daddies and I've been married to one man the whole time. God, I'm so glad I'm not like that person who embezzles from their company. Meanwhile, we minimize our own wickedness and unrighteousness before God. You see, the moment you start playing a comparison game, you've already lost. Because the truth of the matter, I, <laughs> I had a pastor who used to say, you can put me at one end of the Grand Canyon, and you can put Michael Jordan at the other end of the Grand Canyon. And we both can endeavor to jump across the Grand Canyon. Here's the facts. Jordan is going to jump further than I will, and I'm going to jump a little further than maybe you will, but we're going to all end up at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And... And when we start judging, start making assumptions about people, who they are, how they understand, how they live, and the person that they are, we are simply saying, I can jump a little further across the pit of eternal death than you can, but without Jesus, we all end up at the bottom. You see, improper judgment of others. It simply is an effort to make ourselves feel better about our religious attainment. And all this improper judgment of others, it just reveals that we just don't understand where we truly stand before God. Tim Keller says about Pharisaic religion this. He says Pharisaic religion doesn't just damage the inner soul, it also creates social strife. 
Pharisees need to shore up their sense of righteousness so they despise and attack all who don't share their doctrinal beliefs and religious practices. Racism and cultural imperialism is the result. Churches that are filled with self-righteous, exclusive, insecure, angry, moralistic people are extremely unattractive. And millions of people raised in or near these kinds of churches reject Christianity at an early age or in college largely because of their experience. For the rest of their lives, then, they are inoculated against Christianity. Pharisees and their unattractive lives leave many people confused about the real nature of Christianity. You see, we've all experienced this. And if, if we're honest, we've ran into these kind of people who seek to uh, set up for themselves and set up for us this picture of who God is that is a picture that is based more on their personality, their own uh, uh, persuasions. And, and as a result, it turns us off to God because it binds our conscience in a way that God hasn't intended. And there are so many people. And let's be honest, who have walked away from the church because they have experienced this kind of judgment. They've experienced this kind of judgment, and as a result, they try to disentangle themselves from the legalism, and some people actually are not able to do it, and so they walk away from Jesus instead. And they say, if that is what Jesus about is about, I do not want it. People of God, when we give ourselves over to legalism and creating rules that are not in Scripture and deciding what people, how, whether or not they should wear makeup or whether or not they should swim or whether or not they should dance, when God has said nothing about any of these things, we actually end up pushing people away from Christ and giving them a picture of the gospel that is untrue. And so Jesus calls us to lay down hypocritical judgment, but he also calls us to lay down condemning judgment. Look at verse 37. He says, judge not. And you won't be judged. But then he goes on to say, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Both judgment and condemnation here are forensic legal words that have to do with sitting in the judge's seat just like you would think in a courtroom. This is a courtroom setting where you become the judge, jury, and adjudicator of somebody's righteousness and standing before God. And let me tell you why God tells us not to do this. It's very simple. We are not God. We're, we're not God. We are not God. We can't know exhaustively a person's situation, their circumstances, where they are, why they are the way they are, who they are, why they function that way. We think we can, but the more we actually listen to people and draw closer to people and gain proximity and ask questions, we actually find out that many of our presuppositions are super wrong and that we've misunderstood them totally. Now, I can hear your question. You're like, okay, Carlos, am I just supposed to float through the world? Judge not. I'm just supposed to float through the world, drawing no conclusions and making no judgments. Now, look, that would be weird in a way, right? Um, like, think about this for a moment. There's a whole book in the Bible. It's the sixth book in the Bible. Wait, no, seventh book in the Bible. It's called Judges, okay? <laughs> it's a whole book written about people who judge people. There are passages. Jesus says in John chapter 7, he says, don't judge with unrighteous judgment, but judge righteously. 1 John 4 says, try the spirit by the spirit. Uh, there's an instruction in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 for the church to protect its own community against immorality. And Paul says that you are to judge those within and cast out the immoral person. So if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand that he is not talking about that we stick our head in the sand and act like it's all good. Now, let's just be clear, in a, a morally relativistic, in a society that has privatized religion in a way that Jesus would not have, uh, we have taken judge not to mean, hey, you got to be good with everything. 
And that's not what Jesus is saying here, but I believe what Jesus is helping us to see here is that there's a distinction between judgment and discernment. There, there's a distinction, because I know y'all, y'all, the church folks getting worried, like, where, where, where are we going with this, Pastor Carlos? Like, we, we don't judge anything, but that's why I said it's a hypocritical and a condemning judgment, but that doesn't mean we don't discern. Jesus says, I want you to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. There's a wisdom, there's a knowledge that you're supposed to have. Where do I see that in the text? Look at verse 43. It's why I kind of link together uh, this, this uh, picture of this imagery that Jesus gives. Jesus says, says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Check this out, verse 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit, known. The word there's gnosis, that's a deep understanding. That is saying that just as the serpent is wise, understanding, crafty, that you need to operate with a gnosis of how people move. You need to know and understand how a person functions, and knowing that and harming them is different. You see, judgment sits in the place of God and decides this person can't possibly come to God. This person couldn't possibly be a Christian. I know exhaustively this person's life, their circumstances, their situation, and I have already decided where they stand with God. God says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, you can't do that because you're not God enough. You don't know. You can't see enough. You got a plank in your eye and you can't see what's really going on in theirs. So you forego judgment, but you lean into discernment. God has called us to be fruit inspectors. You know, I've talked openly about one of the greatest jobs I ever had in my life. Um, it's one of the greatest careers I ever had. Uh, and it was working at Walmart in the produce department. I did that much through my college days. And I'll never forget one time we had my, my, uh, my manager, a real quirky dude by the name of Gary, um, but he was oddly passionate about vegetables. I mean, it was just... I mean, he was in the right job. I mean, it was everybody is great. There's everybody has their gift from the Lord. But Gary just loved vegetables, man. He was like really. I mean, he had a passion about them, like an affection. It was slightly creepy. Uh, and but he he was passionate, meticulous. And we he would say that people pick their grocery store based on how beautiful the produce was. And he he expected us to be equally as passionate. I just had a harder time being as passionate about cilantro as he was. Like, it was so hard for me, but I did my best. I worked for Gary for many years. And I'll never forget, we had a team lead who would be there when Gary wasn't there. Gary Gay just got real clear instructions, okay? Um, he said, hey man, while I'm gone, I want you to take some notes and note to me how the rotation is working, how these vegetables are working. I was standing right there when Gary said it. But the other dude also had a strange affection and passion for vegetables, okay? And he wanted to be Gary. It's not something I connected with, but hey, I was... <laughs> I was just trying to pay my tuition and get on through music school, okay? I wasn't, some stuff you just ain't your business, you let it go on past you. So anyway, I was there with this other guy. The guy, other guy's name was Don. Don started changing everything, threw out a bunch of vegetables, just, just undid the whole thing and set it up exactly the way he wanted it, which I didn't care. I was just sitting there watching all this stuff happen. Gary came back and like blew a gasket. He said, Don did not follow instructions. He has thrown away a bunch of perfectly good produce and all I told him to do was to inspect it. And while this was a weird situation and something I don't know why I was fully doing all the way, I actually learned a lot from it because we as Christians do the same thing. You see, God says, I didn't tell you to throw anyone away. I didn't tell you to make a judgment call about whether somebody is good, whether or not they're rotten, whether or not they belong in my kingdom, whether or not they, should, they can draw close to me. I just told you to inspect the fruit and govern yourselves accordingly, but you're trying to throw people away that I haven't called you to throw away. You're trying to throw folk away I've called you to love. And so 
God says, listen, I need you to lay down your hypocritical, condemning judgment. I need you to lay that down, but I need you to pick up discernment. I need you to simply govern yourselves and, and know and understand where people are. And you can be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But at the end of the day, you can't know exhaustively because you're not God, because you actually have a log in your eye. And not only that, if we look at this text carefully, the primary area of, instruction, of inspection of fruit is not the fruit that other people bear, is ourselves. You see, Jesus is less concerned about us inspecting everybody else's fruit and, and, and seeing where everybody else stands, and he's much more concerned about us inspecting our own fruit. He is much more concerned with us. That Paul said it this way, to, to try yourself and see whether or not you are in the faith. The, uh, uh, the psalmist wrote it this way, God, search my heart and see if there be any way of unrighteousness in me. That is the most dangerous prayer you can pray. I try to avoid praying it at all costs. I, because when you ask God to actually search your heart, your heart is always more dark. Your motives are always more unpure and in, unclean than you think they are. You know, we think we're pretty good. And, you know, I'm not saying we're all like the worst people ever. You know, please don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but we can delude ourselves into thinking that everything we're doing, it for, we're doing for all the right reasons and everything that everybody else is doing, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. But what Jesus says is that I want you to search the fruit in your own heart. And he says, I want you to look closely at what comes out of your mouth. Look at verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, one of the ways that we can know where we are and how we're viewing our brothers and our sisters is whether our mouths are speaking encouragement, affirmation, building people up, or whether our tongues are speaking words of judgment, condemnation, gossip, hurt, pain, pushing other people away from Christ instead of drawing them to him. Our mouth will tell us exactly where our spiritual health is. Or let me say it this way, because some of y'all are like, I don't be saying nothing crazy. Let me say it this way. Your group chat in your iMessage will tell you a lot about where your heart is. The Bible says, this is terrifying, by the way. I haven't even got to this text to preach it. But the Bible says that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. Some of us are going to have a lot of explaining to do about our group messages when we stand before Jesus because those are words. Y'all do know this. And God is saying that one of the ways you can assess how you view people or whether or not you are a person who is walking in judgment and condemnation is what we are speaking about those who are around us. And so this goes right into the next thing that Jesus wants us to embrace. He wants us to embrace discernment, but he also wants us to embrace self-work. Look at verse 39. He says, I want you to assess your own fruit. I want you to assess yourself. He tells a parable in verse 39. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? This is Jesus using hyperbole. There's a speck in your brother's eye, and you don't see the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says, look, if you're really actually worried about your brothers and sisters and the people around you, one of the best things you can do is focus on yourself. 
You see, we, we, we pretend like we are so deeply concerned about other people and that we really want, brother, let me take the speck. You got that terrible little speck in your eye. And the Greek in this language is literally, it's a tree trunk coming out of your own. He says, how in the world can you see to how to get a speck of dust out of somebody's eye and you got a whole forest growing in your forest park is in your retina? <laughs> how? I'm going to tell you why we do this. It's, it's real simple. It's, it's easy peasy. Why do we do this? Because it's easier to work on other people than ourselves. That's why. It is, it, is, it is easier for me to come and, 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 and you know, we frame it as help, right? Let, let me help you. I, I want you to be better. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you be better. Let me, let, let, let me build you. Let me give you some feedback. Let me help you out. Because that is easier than dealing with what Michael Jackson called the man or the woman in the mirror. Because when we look at the person in the mirror, we see a lot of the stuff that we don't want to see. We, we see the years. We, we see the years. There's some stuff I, I've, I've been very open about my turning 40, and, I'm, and there's some things I'm happy about. Look at what God did over 40 years. And there's some things, I'm like, I've been struggling with this since I was six. What is this? It's like 34 years of the same stuff? Like, this does not make me happy at all. When we look in the mirror, we see those things that disappoint us, that upset us. We see the things, you know, it's like, it's like Scooby-Doo. I grew up on Scooby-Doo. I just told you I was 40, you know, and, they, and, and at the end of the show, they always catch the monster and they unmask the monster and it's always somebody they didn't think. But here's the truth. When we unmask the monster in our own life, it's us. We want to blame everybody but us. We want to get the speck out of everybody's eyes but our own. But here's the reality. Jesus says if you're genuinely caring about people, one of the best things you can do is make sure that you are right with God. Make sure that you're emotionally healthy. Make sure that you're in therapy dealing with your stuff. Making sure that your traumas and your PTSD isn't feeding into every area and every relationship, every friendship, every portion of your marriage, into your parenting, and dealing with the root causes of all your challenges. Get the plank out of your own eye so then you can see clearly how to help people get it out of theirs. You see, I, um, you know, I've also talked about, you know, my, my health journey. And, you know, there are people that I follow on Instagram that are just needlessly in shape, just doing insane workouts. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I watch these people. I'm like, what are you training for? Like, what's going to happen? Like, I don't, like, what you, why are you doing upside down push-ups with a couch on your feet? Like, I don't, what the, <laughs> What, what is about to happen? Like, I know, like, I'm, I'm already shook because I'm watching the news every day and waiting on World War III and IV, but I don't need to see you doing this. Like, this is terrifying. You know, you see these people on these crazy workouts, and they've been like athletes and in shape their whole life, and I just don't relate to that. And I'm like, <laughs> like, like, well, good for you. But there's a couple of people that I, that I follow uh, that used to be fat like me, uh, and now they are shredded. And the way they give advice is just different. They're like, hey, man, look, when you actually want to eat the cupcake at 1 in the morning, this is how you say no. I'm like, this is good advice right here. Uh, <laughs> this person has been in the same struggle that I am in right now. I can't relate to the person that's been vegan their whole life. I don't, I don't relate. I don't know. But this man who used to be 785 pounds and now has a six-pack, he has gotten a place that I've gone to. Here's the point. When you have walked through some things, the way you walk with people is different. And, and what Jesus says, look, look at the text here. Look real carefully at what Jesus says. Jesus says that you come up to the brother, and you don't just say to the brother, hey, you got a speck in your eye. Look at what happens. Look very carefully. He says, brother, let me take out the speck 
that is in your eye. In other words, I can actually practically help you and not just point out what's wrong with you. And that's the difference between being in relationship and being a critic. I can actually not just say, point out a thing. It's easy to point out wrongs. We can do that all day. But he says, I've taken the log out of my eye, and now I can actually practically help you and walk with you and help you get it out of your own. And so God calls us to embrace discernment, to embrace self-work, and to work on ourselves so that we can actually give people the best of ourselves and see true community and true flourishing. But the last thing that I see in this text that I believe that Jesus calls us to embrace is mercy. Look at verse 36. I started with this verse. I actually believe this is the heading of this section. Be merciful. And when you kind of read it, you can see the rhythm of the language. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Do you see the meter in that? That's why I kind of think it should be grouped over there. I think Jesus is saying to us that your father does not first embrace judgment. That we, we tend to read God as God being swift to judgment, but do y'all realize that God tells us over and over again that he does, is not swift to judgment, but he abounds in mercy. Exodus 34, this is the old covenant. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Listen to this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The reason why our judgment and our hypocrisy is so damaging is because it misunderstands and miscommunicates the nature of God. You see, God's disposition it's not to smite us and judge us, but it's to save, restore, and bring healing. This, and let me be clear, this doesn't mean that God doesn't ever judge and that God won't judge. But y'all want to know why Jesus is taking so long to come back? The Bible says it's because he wants us all to come to repentance. He's put out a free, clear, clarion call to come to him. And he, the Bible says that it's his patience and forbearance that is calling all people to come to him. It is his mercy that is stopping him from coming back. Because let's be clear, when he come back, he is coming back not as a baby, but as a warrior who is going to judge iniquity and sin. And so he's given us some time to get it together. And so the Bible is saying here, listen, don't be swift to judge because God is not swift to judge. Check this out. God isn't swift to judge and he has all the information. He knows exactly why. He knows more about your wickedness. He knows more about their wickedness. He knows more about all of our wickedness than any of us do. And he is the one who is most offended and affronted. And he says, I am not swift to judge. So who are you? If I, the creator of the universe, with exhaustive knowledge and information of all humans, of all sinfulness, of all righteousness, of all things, I'm not swift to judge. Who are you? Y'all know that verse. It's a verse that those of us, for if we were raised in church or been around church a lot, we were raised up on. If you're not from the church or haven't heard a lot, it's a, it's a, a really important verse in Christianity that I would love for you to get to know. But it's John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but, but have everlasting life. But verse 17 is critical. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. If Jesus, if God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, he surely ain't sent you into the world to condemn the world. And so what does this mean? What does this mean for us? 
practically. It means we should feel free to love, to embrace, to show the love of Jesus. Listen, some of us are so worried about how people sin that we can't love them right. Because they live a certain lifestyle. Y'all know the one. And rather than show them the love of Jesus, we're so worried what we might look, back, look like if we post a Facebook picture with them. Because we've already drawn a conclusion. And we're not worried about showing and exposing them to the love and to the embrace and to the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows their sin way better than you. He knows it in better detail, child. Trust me. He got detailed on their sins that you don't even want. And yet he says, I have not come to condemn. I've come to save. And our response then is that we not set aside our discernment. Remember, he says, I want you to inspect the fruit. I want you to inspect the fruit. I want you to try the spirits by the spirits. That's 1 John. But at the end of the day, do no harm. Suspend your judgment and show them the love of Christ. Show that family member the love of Jesus. Let them encounter Christ through you because God's first movement towards us is not one of judgment, but it's one of mercy. And so listen, I'm done preaching. Here's what I want to share with us today. I know that many of us, as you listen to me, some folks, you in church like barely at this point, you've experienced the judgment, the rejection of church people. I sure did. I know I did. Especially the way I got saved. I wasn't raised in church. I was a street kid. I sagged for the first eight years of my salvation, okay? I looked nothing like a person raised in church. And I experienced all the weird comments from church people that had nothing to do. I knew the Bible more than most of them, and they talked about me because my pants were sagging. I'm not saying I should have been showing my underwear, but I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> but here's my point. Sometimes we can... We, we, we as church folks, man, we, we, we got to own that we, we can just do stuff that Jesus wouldn't do sometimes. And rather than open our arms wide, we can push people away. And listen, if you have experienced that, I want to say to you, I've just read to you that Jesus' heart towards you and disposition towards you is not one to push you away. Check this out. Even with his full knowledge of your sin. It's not that he is just like glossing over your sin or is unaware of it. He knows it better than you do. He actually knows your wickedness better than you do. And still he says, come to me. I want you. And so if we have experienced that at the hands of people who represent or name Christ, I just want to let you know that Jesus himself is still calling you to himself. But here's the other side of that too. Some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And we think that what he wants from us is more works. We have been living out a works-based salvation this whole time. It's pharisaic religion, actually. We think our salvation is based on how good we do or whether we made a mistake yesterday or how many times we came to Bible study or whether or not we did our devotional time today. And Jesus says, it don't matter if you did all those things times 10. It's still the Grand Canyon. You're going to fall into the bottom of it. At the end of the day, you need my grace. And so I want to encourage those of us who have been in church to, and walking with Jesus for a while to not only stop judging others, but Paul says, I don't even judge myself. To come to a God who says, I have taken your judgment for you. I have suspended judgment, not because I didn't deal with judgment, but because I actually did deal with it on the cross. Whether you are in the church or outside of the church, Jesus does not have judgment left for you because he took the full wrath of God on the cross. And now what he has left for you is love, grace, and acceptance. 
And so we not only stop judging others, we stop judging ourselves and we give it all to Jesus and we live lives that are free, that are open to the gospel of grace, that experience the blessings and the generosity of God. And whether you have been in the church for a long time or whether you gave up on church a long time ago, God sent me to tell you that he still has all that grace for you. And so I wanna invite you to come to Jesus. We're gonna sing a little more in worship. We're gonna pray. While we're praying and worshiping and things like that, there's gonna be brothers and sisters here, our response team. If you want prayer, whether you have been in the church for a while and living under legalism or whether you've been outside the church and don't know Jesus at all, wherever you fall, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you need prayer for some other stuff. I wanna invite you to come to our response team. We got brothers and sisters who will pray for you and pray with you. But I just want you to know this morning, that Jesus doesn't have judgment left for you because he took it all on your behalf on the cross. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, thank you that you don't move to us first with judgment. God, you move to us first with grace and mercy. God, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, like the songwriter said, it brought us through. God, we are living this moment because of you. And God, we're so grateful that while, yes, you are the judge of all the universe, and when the chips are down at the last day, at the last trumpet, you are going to judge the earth. But God, those of us who are in your kingdom, God, we are free to escape your wrath because you have already taken it on the cross. God, help us to embrace the gospel. Help us to embrace your grace. Help us to embrace your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us stand together. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.